All right, Castreza Crowd, I'm here today once again, as always, in the barn. Kelly, in the podcast yes. closet. How's it going, Kelly? Oh, you know, it's good. Uh, I'm trying to sell a microfish reader on Craigslist, as you do. You know. So. Sell a what? Microfish reader. You oh, know. nice. How much are you selling the microfish reader for? So I looked it up, and the whole reason... Like law firms, if anybody doesn't know, have this terrible habit of keeping everything. Anything that's ever crossed their threshold, they will keep. One of the things, at some point, I'm assuming during the late 80s, my particular law uh-huh. firm got a hold of a microfiche reader and it died. Its final resting place was in, well, it didn't die, but it just, it has been quietly pushed into a corner of the office that no one has looked at for the last 10 years and it was unearthed and given to me. And so I looked up on the internet. Because the person who was like, you should go ahead and take this home. I was like, I li- there's no world in where I would ever need this piece of equipment. But she was yeah. like, yeah, but there's like a market for it. People would want to buy it. I was like, oh, okay, we'll see. So the only one available for sale of the particular model that I have in my garage right now was for $400 on eBay. Somebody yeah. was selling it for us. So I was like, oh, shit. And I know it's other ridiculous people at law firms that would want it because they're ridiculous and they have microphones. Not just law firms. I would be interested in it if I had microfiche like i mean just as yeah. if you're like a researcher of any kind like a oh yeah yeah totally libraries a writer, that's a thing too. Yeah. totally i mean that's where libraries is really where it is so it's like yeah if you yes. need that research stuff so yeah i mean i think for 400 that's a lot i mean fuck yeah if you can sell it but i mean it's such a niche thing man you oh no no i'm not right selling people. it i'm only going to sell it for 100 and i'm not going to sell it on ebay where there'd be a wire market because i don't want to try to ship that thing it's going to be like 100 bucks to ship it anyway and the odds of it getting broken are so high because the thing is like flimsy plastic and glass like yeah, i don't want to yeah. it's going to definitely point. break so i put it up for 100 bucks and i already got an email about it so nice. we'll see I was like, and and their email address had a law firm handle in the tag, and I was like, uh, I fucking knew it, you guys. I fucking knew it. You know, what do you need to look up microfiche for? Well, what uh, antique equipment are you selling this week, Daniel? Oh, uh, you know, just the regular stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kelly, this is not Antiques Roadshow. Oh, this man. is a Bob Dylan podcast. We spend the week listening to a Bob Dylan song at random that we chose last episode, and then we get together to talk about it here which is what you're doing right now i've been listening to bob dylan for most of my life kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as a class of the two-person intermediate sailing dinghy complete with a main a jib a spinnaker and a trapeze that's popular in australia and this week you said we listen sailing to and dinghy i thought i heard sealing thingy and i was like do you mean a light Take a message to Mary But don't tell her where I am Take a message to Mary But don't say I'm in a jam You can tell her that I had to see the world Tell her that my ship set sail You can say she'd better not that's right. Kelly, we're here today to talk about taking a message to... You see how I just said Marie? Yeah, I know. Marie is a better name for this, and that's how Bob Dylan is singing it, and that's how I've always intuned it. Even though I know the name is Mary, I sing Take a Message to Marie because that's what Bob Dylan is singing. And I get you get the twang in there, and it's Mary. You know, I get the Marie, but it's Marie. 
So take a message. So I'm going to say I'm just going to uh, in- involuntarily say that this song is take a message to Marie. Well, now it sounds like you're saying Murray, like a man's name, Murray. Take a message to Murray. Just as good. Just as good. <laughs> or take a message to Murphy Brown. You know, it's like. Oh, shit. I mean, you can go so deep with this. Take a message to Murphy Brown. I'm in jail. Do a story on this. Simple. <laughs> she needs to know. She needs to know. Uh, Kelly, we, will, oh, we, we listened to this song, Take a Message to Mary, this week. Supposedly. Suppo- supposedly. And um, how, how was your week with it? We listened to basically one version of it. Um, there is a, a version on his 50th anniversary bootleg. It's not really a bootleg, but a, an official release, you know, uh, last year. Um, that's basically, that is the exact same song, just the vocals are to the front and the guitars and stuff are to the back. Um, I can't, I think it's literally the exact same take. How, how was your, um, how was your week with this song? I mean, it's fine. It's less Muppety than I remember. And I enjoyed the jangly guitars, but I don't know. I feel like this song really suffers from an identity crisis. Mm. Like it doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Like it doesn't know if it wants to be country rock or like an actual, like acoustic romantic song or kind of just like a, a silly pop song. It doesn't, it, I don't know. It just fails. I think because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. We've got like a nice Spanish guitar. Yeah. But then we've also got a terrible honky talk piano that throws off that vibe completely. Mm. And then we've got the backup singers that just aren't good in any kind of version of the song, unless you're doing a schlocky kind of poppy version. But yeah, otherwise it's just like a cacophony of too many things. So it's not, it's, it's not for me, but I, I didn't hate it. So, and it's, it's, you know, it's only like two and a half minutes long. So solid. You can't, you can't, you can't stew in it. If this song was twice as long, it's like, okay, now I hate this because all I can think about is how much all this stuff doesn't work. Yeah, this song was recorded on May third, nineteen sixty nine, in Nashville. Um, he recorded it with Blue Moon, which you probably remember from Self Portrait as well. Blue Moon. Oh, oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. For some reason, I thought that was a person. Oh, Blue he Moon. Yes. It, you know, with oh, Blue, yeah, Moon. Blue Moon. Yeah. <laughs> no, Blue Moon. The song Blue Moon. Uh, yes, yes yeah. uh, that's also on Self Portrait. And also to Johnny Cash covers. So this was after the Dylan Cash got together. Uh, and you can listen to both of them on the Bootleg Series Volume 15. He did Ring of Fire and Folsom Prison. So you can listen to those if you want to. So that entire day of May 3rd is now out there in the world for you to listen to. Uh, as we talked about, there's a lot of musicians on here. Bob Dylan, uh, first and foremost, obviously. Bob Wilson on piano. So that piano is definitely going places. Then we have Norman Blake, Fred Carter um, on guitar. Presumably Bob is on guitar as well. We've got Peter Drake on steel guitar, Doug Kershaw on violin, Kenny Buttry on drums, and then singing our backup vocals are Dolores Edgen and Donnie, Dottie Dillard. And Bob has never played this song live. Now, I've been trying to listen to the songs more because you always come in pretty good with like, you know, just how complex and intricate these songs are. And this one stood out to me. It was really, really nice. There's like so much interplay that I can understand why it could be a little bit annoying because it's so much going on. But I kind of like that, you know, and if this song is like a, an old school standard pop song that Bob would have listened to, then it's kind of fun because he's taken like everything that's happened since 1960 or in this case, 1959 and like incorporated it all in. So this is not his song, I gather. No, because remember, self-portrait is all covers except for I him. didn't remember that. Of course, I didn't remember that. Uh, episode one or two, we listened to self-portrait in total. So we, we talked about these. You were not a fan of, of this um, no. then. Um, I think you're right. When you're just listening to it alone, it's better. And then obviously we make a playlist that we'll talk about later. That makes it easier as well. Um, but no, this song is not his, Kelly. 
would it surprise you to say that this song is a song by the Everly Brothers? Uh, it would because I'm not sure who that is because I mm. constantly get the Everly Brothers and the Righteous Brothers confused. So there's a 50-50 chance in my head that those are the dudes that sang Unchained Melody or the guys that sang like Bye Bye Love and stuff. I don't know who, though. We'll have to find out. The best part about like self-portrait and the best part about like World Gone Wrong and stuff, which we talked about for Stagger Lee especially, um, is just – taking Bob Dylan and the things he likes and using it as a template to like dive into them. So for me, any longtime listener knows that I went through a whole sixties phase. I listened to everything from the sixties. Um, and the Everly brothers were of course, one of those big things. And, you know, they had a lot of hits in the late fifties, early sixties, and it was really fun to listen to. And then obviously for self portrait, it's a reason to re examine all of this. And now it's a reason to talk about it. Um, we're going to talk about the song in a minute what we can talk about it because in the end of the day it is kind of just a pop song but i do want to tell you kelly about the everly brothers well actually before that do you know anything at all about the everly brothers beyond bye bye love or or maybe any of the other songs that you might know yeah i mean looking at their um like top listen to songs on spotify real quick i'm pretty like i heard most of mostly all of them i think possibly all anyway um but no i don't know anything about them personally no not at all you don't know about Don and Phil? Those are their names. Wow. Okay. Great. Those are the So at, at the time of this <laughs> song, just to sort of paint the picture, Bob Dylan had already sort of like, you know, interacted with them. He wrote a song for them called The Fugitive that wow. was never recorded, but was recorded by Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash. And it became the song Wanted Man, um, which is on, you know, Johnny Cash's live. I think it's either San Quentin or Folsom. And then you can listen to Bob Dylan doing it with Johnny Cash um, on the Bootleg Series Volume 15. So he re- he wrote the song for them, and they didn't do it for whatever reason. Um, so there's already a connection between the two of them. Who are the Everly Brothers, Kelly? As I said, Dawn, brothers, real brothers. Dawn and – see, the Righteous Brothers, I don't know. Like, the, their parents are not righteous. Mr. and Mrs. Maybe. Righteous? I don't think so. I don't think so. In this case, we got Dawn, born in Kentucky, 1937. We got Phil, born in Chicago, 1939. They spent most of their childhood in Shenandoah, Iowa. Not Shenandoah, Virginia, but Shenandoah, Iowa, apparently. Don is still with us as of this recording in 2021. Phil passed away in 2014. On most of the songs, uh, Don is the baritone. We were talking about the Righteous Brothers before and how low they can go. But Don, you know, listening to our song here, it's not a very low register. And like, I, you know, I've listened to a lot of the Everly Brothers now and it's like, yeah, you can tell the difference between them, but baritone is a pretty strong word. When I think of baritone, I think of very low. Maybe That's, I should. You're thinking but... of bass. See, there you go. So I'm yeah, stupid. so there's there's bass and then there's double bass beneath that. Oh so, my yeah. god! So, so it 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 goes soprano, tenor, baritone, bass, double bass, and there's okay. even one above soprano, I think, but I don't know what it's called. Mm. Mezzo soprano. No, that's not right. Mezzo just means like quiet, I think. I don't fucking know. Anyway, yeah. So so this is this is tenor and baritone are pretty close in that they're like a big, nice mid-range. That makes great sense then because Don's the baritone and Phil is the tenor. So yeah. makes total sense. Their first hit is, as you mentioned before, Bye Bye Love. Of course, that was 1957. Uh, and then that song, just like Take It to Marie, was written by Felice and uh, Boudlow Bryant, who, if anybody's watched the Ken Burns country music documentary, they do a whole section on them because they became some of the biggest country songwriters. Um, their whole story is amazing. Like they just like took off one day, lived out of their van with like two kids because they wanted to write songs. Like one of them was a poet. The other was like a, a trained musician, like opera singer or something like that. And they just merged their talents together and made up all these 
incredible songs. And um, so at this point, they were just kind of establishing themselves, and they happened to work with the Everly Brothers, and they became sort of connected, the two of them, um, because obviously this song and um, other songs on Self Portrait 2 that Bob Dylan is doing are Boodle Bryant's and uh, Felice and Boodle Bryant's originals. There goes my baby with someone new. She sure looks happy. I sure am blue. Other songs by the Everly Brothers, Wake Up Little Susie, All I Have to Do is Dream, which I think everyone's probably heard in one way or another. Probably their most covered song, probably. Um, the brothers toured with Buddy Holly in 57, 58. Oh, that makes so much sense. They're basically like Buddy Holly, but... And that's what and that's what I want to get to, because Kathy's Clown came out in 1960. We've talked about Kathy's Clown on the show before. We just popped it on before we started. Love that song. Love it to death. It's so good. It's their best-selling single and was really like the last big one and that's 1960 so what's amazing is what changed and how quickly it all changed and the everly brothers are like a lot of early rock and roll in that it was it really was like a fucking meteoric um rise and like within a couple of years a supreme fall for everybody Elvis just kind of fell out of fashion. It was more fun to like turn against him uh, than to be with him. Little Richard just stopped making music and became religious before Bob Dylan did. Jerry Lee Lewis, it's never a good look to marry your cousin. And when she's like 15, not great. Uh, Chuck Berry got arrested. So that was a huge thing. Buddy Holly died. Uh, Ricky Nelson, Bobby V, they were seen um, by the, the, the youth as it was turning in the 1960s as more just fluff and not re- there was no substance to the songs. They were just a, they were looking like rock and roll. Like, you know, there, there was a look. It's, they were posers. I mean, what else to say? They were posers. Gotcha. Um, and then internationally, there was like Lonnie Donegan, right? Skiffle and everything like that, too. Even though the early Beatles sound exactly like this, it's weird to think just like all of these giants that are giants today because we did a big reevaluation of their music, especially. And I think Bob Dylan's vital in that discussion because he took these songs that were not cool and played them and people still didn't like them at the time. But I think we look back on Elvis and stuff now and we appreciate what they did and it was important what they did. Um, And you can use it as a springboard to, again, dive into more music that did not get praised. So what changed for the Everly Brothers? Because the Everly Brothers are rock and roll 101 as well. They would be part of that list if we were talking about any one of the other people. What happened to them? Three things. Three tales as old as time, Kelly. One, money. Royalties. So they, like so many others, were getting fucked over by their publishing house. In this case, it was Acuff Rose. And by them making a stink about it, they were cut out of the roster. And part of the writers for that were the Bryants. So they lost access to the Bryants. They even went so far, this might be apocryphal, to make up a fake character, a fake singer, to pretend to be a part of the Acuff Rose so that they could work with these songwriters again. (laughs) Um, Second, uh, apparently as old as time, joining the Marine Corps. So they joined the Marine Corps Reserve in 1961. Wow. At the height of their fame, which again, Elvis did it in 1958, so that's why I kind of like make fun of it as a tale as old as time this was definitely something post-war post-world war ii where like 
there was this sort of obligation that we today in, in the 21st century would not feel obligated to spend, you know, put in like six months in the reserve. You know, that was something that was more ingrained uh, in their upbringing or just the, the common culture at the time. So Elvis did his stint and the Everly Brothers did theirs. In fact, when they went and played Ed Sullivan in 1962, they were wearing their Marine Corps outfit wow as they played the songs which i think is like crazy um and then the third tale is all this time that brought him down amphetamines so they were addicted to drugs (laughs) and um and back in the day you couldn't talk about that so in the 60 early 60s you know three three to seven really they you know it was uh food poisoning or it was um Mm. deathly ill you know again bob dylan got the same treatment they all got the same treatment where it's like we can't tell tiger beat that um that they're fucking high. Yeah. So we, we they're goddamn cool. junkies. Exactly. But the most important thing that happened, and I think it's important, and just for this podcast in general, and just like keep in mind for, for this rock and roll, is like the taste changed so fast, almost overnight. And they were, the, the height of the Everly Brothers' popularity not only coincided with their drug habits and going off to the reserves, like all these things did not help them. But the thing that destroyed them was the Beatles. The British invasion destroyed the Everly Brothers and it made them look light years behind what was happening overnight and they never were able to recover from that they also made a country rock album in 1968 that i listened to this morning called roots so they were also at the forefront of bob dylan making you know folk rock you know the birds and all of that happened in 1967 after the basement tapes and everything like that so they were right there as well doing the same sort of thing and it's actually incredible they have these like old songs that they were singing with their parents and it would just morph into them as clear teenagers like kids playing along it's got these like home video-esque you know they're just like talking hey mom you want to play this song with me and they'll start playing and it'll just morph into them in real time new time playing the same song and it's really affecting and i was like it's so cool because there wasn't a whole lot of editing like that going on um at the time so and especially for like a country rock record you know that you would basically go in and just cut in a studio it was so cool to have like all of these manipulation where they're taking old footage and, and putting it into new stuff. So that was again, really cool. And I don't, I don't think it gets the, it's due. Uh, and then at the end from 1963 to 1970, they released 27 singles, only three made it onto the top 100 and they released a dozen albums for Warner brothers in the sixties and early seventies uh, beyond the first one in 1960 that went to number nine. None of the others cracked the top 200 except for one. So everything else was just kind of middling um, for a decade. They would be resigned in time to just being an influence for the Beatles in general, the Beach Boys on steroids, basically, Mm -hmm. because they took those harmonies and just like amplified them. And most the one that's like the one to one to me is Simon and Garfunkel, like same sort of registers, same concept, just like not brothers. Two dudes, but like two dudes. Exactly. And that harmony and and Phil and and later in their lives when they reformed in the 1980s and and went until um, or until Phil died in 2014, they toured with Paul Simon and them. And Paul Simon always brought them on stage and they always did Bye Bye Love. And I'm sure that was really cool for them because, of course, the influence is right there Um, in Behind the Shades by Clinton Halen, his biography of Bob Dylan. um, He talks about take a message to Mary and take a message to mary in particular he says this is a quote inside of a quote so he's going to be quoting rolling stone in a second but he says quote the idea of dylan recording songs like blue moon take me as i am and take a message to mary 
was enough for even Rolling Stone to rethink the question not Dylan stance. When Rolling Stone reviewer Bill Reed got to hear the tapes for this album, Self-Portrait, the following winter, he would write, and this is um, Bill Reed writing, if you've a predisposition against country and western, but the hybrid sound of Nashville skyline didn't offend your anti-Ruth sensibilities, be warned. There are still unreleased Dylan sides that quite likely would drive you up the wall. Some of them songs with lyrics out of the bliss, kiss, fingertips, lips, school of prosody. Wow. So let's talk about Take a Message to Mary. Take a message to Mary, but don't tell her all you know. My heart is aching for Mary. Lord knows I miss her so. Tell her that I went to Timbuktu. Um, as I said, the song was written by the, the Bryants. It was originally released in 1959, spent 13 weeks on the Hot 100, peaking at number 16. Michael Gray wrote about Bob Dylan's affinity for the Everly Brothers. And I think this is actually probably the best quote about the Everlys and Bob Dylan. Um, and kind of like, I think, sets the tone for like why this song is like good, but also kind of insignificant, except to Bob Dylan. Um, Michael Gray says, quote, talking about Bob Dylan, he went went public uh, in quotations on his affection for the Everlys by recording Let It Be Me and Take a Message to Mary on, on self-portrait, something very badly received by the hip public. The inclusion of Everly Brothers songs was more striking at the time than it is now, since in recent years, through rock and roll revivals galore, they have been acknowledged as crucial figures in pre-Dylan era. But when self-portrait came out, they weren't supposed to still like or even remember that old stuff. You were supposed to be progressive and despise the three-minute single. But Dylan's Let It Be Me is a perfectionist redrafting of the Everly's version, in effect, Dylan stays very faithful to their wistful and solid pop world. And he, and he says the same about this song in particular. Staying true to the vision, but making it Bob Dylan's own. I don't know. I can, I guess I can agree with that on one level, but I feel like there's more of a clear statement with the Everly Brothers version. And well, and that, that just was their kind of mode. That's the songs they sang yeah. were, you know, more straightforward pop songs where you get the like saccharine. I'm a weird love song kind of pop malt shop thing. Um, but this one is not that, though. This is not a malt shop song, though. I mean, it, it does, it's interesting. The Everly Brothers version does have this uh, little bit of psychedelia in it, just a little bit, because there's like a sound mm. in the background, a, like a synth sweep kind of throughout it that I wouldn't expect in a malt shop song. So it does make it feel a little weird. It feels really dreamy in like a kind of disorienting yeah. way because it's not... I mean, maybe that makes it even the Bob Dylan version more faithful because that also is disorganized and <laughs> kind of yeah. all over the place. But I I don't – he did change – it doesn't sound like the same song. He did change it quite a bit. It is faster. I mean, for one, that already, like, sets the pace, like, quite literally differently. Yeah. But I – I don't know. All the lyrics being exactly the same and the fact that he kept the cheesiness of, the, like, the background singers – and that weird dorky <laughs> piano that ruins it. I don't sure, know. Sure. And the dorky opening lines, just like everything, like that. That really sucks all the cool out of it. And any, I don't know. I don't know. It's not for me. Do you relate to the hypothetical 1970 listener who's like, these songs are stupid, and I thought we had given this up, you know, a decade ago. Like this is my, this is already like my parents or my older brother's music, and it sucks. 
and the fact that Bob Dylan's doing it. I mean, I went through that phase for sure. Yeah. In my own life. I mean, we all did. So I found I found that stuff pretty funny where Bob's like, of course, Bob's going to do whatever he wants to do. But it's funny that like there were people out there that, yeah, I I guess the the backlash to this is like, why are you doing the Everly Brothers? I don't know what my version of that would be for something. I don't know what I don't know how I could get that riled up about it. Like what artist would do what artist that Ooh. I would be mad about? Yeah. OK, well, I mean, this happened a lot in uh, new metal because they're all fucking vapid, mm. money grubbing, terrible pieces of shit for the most part anyway. Right. So it's like. The first thing, funnily enough, that comes to my mind is like Limp Bizkit uh, doing like mm, fucking Faith, although oh, that was sure, an sure. excellent cover. So it's sure, like sure. one of their best songs because they didn't write it. Like, but it doesn't matter if it's good. Like the fact that they're doing it alone is a reason to, to be mad, right? So I would say like for again Limp Bizkit because apparently that's my own behind blue eyes. Be behind blue eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like that. If I was already out by then, but if I had still sure. been, you know on the the new metal train i would i'd be like this this really we're doing like an earnest version of behind blue eyes what the fuck is going on uh so i think if i was like 22 and i had been listening to dylan since you know like oh my god his fucking huge meteoric rise with you know i i I could see if i was 22 when this album came out i would be like what the fuck is this (laughs) yeah well, and it's I I think like with yours, the Who seemed so far away from Limp Biscuit, but like the Everly Brothers are not that far away from Bob Dylan. Yeah, and that's what's weird about it too is like we're talking like I mean today if like we're listening to music, we would look back and be mad at like 2014 synth pop. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Right, like, I just right. can't think of yeah. what it would be that we just like are like have we not moved on as a culture right <laughs> but again i don't i don't know if it, it's as media like i don't think it's as big as what like rock and roll was because there w- there was nothing before whereas now like genres just kind of come in and come out but like back then there wasn't anything like that right the popular music as a as a whole thing was only about 20 30 years old at that point mm-hmm. you know like just massive the money that was being made i mean it, rock and roll created the youth teenage market you know what i mean like and the fact that I guess you would be a teenager listening to that if you were a little bit older and Dylan was like out of your realm, then yeah, again, I think as you as like a kid would watch this and be like, yeah, my brother's a fucking square. Um, <laughs> you know, we just went through like, right. the, I mean, I think it also exasperates the cultural divide too because it's like I protested the war. Some my older siblings went to war or now support it, right? I mean, and Don and Phil, they held competing political beliefs that became a huge strain on their relationship for most of their life. And if Phil who's dead was conservative and Don who's alive was more left leaning and they did not get along with one another and they hmm. had a hard time. And for, there were periods where they just fucking hated one another for us. It's a little weird. Cause you can't like feel something. There were no culture wars with the 2014 synth pop revival or whatever, but like there were culture wars back then. Yeah. Right. The, the Vietnam War became the culture war and the music signified it all. And so the fact that Bob Dylan, you're the countercultural hero, would be going back to like say that there's anything important in the songs would kind of probably be a mind fuck. I don't know. It makes me like self-portrait even more than I than I do after we came out of it. It makes me it's just such a cool in a way, not only fuck you, which is like it's mythology, but it's kind of like fuck you, not only because like you'll buy whatever t- shit I put out, but also fuck you because the Everly Brothers are dope. <laughs> and I like the Everly Brothers, so shut up. I mean, there's, there's, 
there's always a badassness to that when you're just like, well, I'm going to like this bullshit whether or not yeah. anyone else likes it. And that essentially makes it cool, right? And that's what brings shit back around where it's mm-hmm. like that person was let's I don't want to throw the word brave on an opinion, but that person was brave enough to like the Everly Brothers and pick a fight with anyone who wanted to come at them. And now they're cool. They came back around, right? Well, I mean, maybe not, but still. Yeah, you're saying it's akin to like protesting the Vietnam War is the same as the protest against the Everly Definitely. Brothers. I mean, it's one to one, really. Those are our two big like I mean, that's what the culture war you were talking about, right? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. That's that is the still the culture war today stems directly from the question about the Everly Brothers. So Here he comes, that's Kathy's I've gotta stand I want to flow this out here because I otherwise I don't we, we haven't really talked about the lyrics, but in terms of a narrative, if there is one, it's very simple. Someone's been locked up. Take a message to Mary, my wife, or it doesn't explicitly say, although there is talk about well, fiance, because they were going to get married. But, but then does they it didn't. say fiance? Yeah. I yeah, see fiance, this. Right? No, it doesn't say anything about fiance. No, but well, it says cancel the wedding date because yeah. we were going to get married, which means if you were engaged to be married, that is your fiance. So I want to I want to propose the, what I said before what, in our discussion, because we talked about this very briefly because you did not care for this or um, take me as I am because they were the two songs. We just put them together on our episode 102, which you can go listen to. But I did mention that I think that this just by basis of the carried gun, the stagecoach, the all that kind of stuff, that this is a. Seven Curses Expanded Universe song. And because this does not have, there is no direct signifier that this, he is talking to his potential wife or fiance or girlfriend. This could be the dad in my, I am making canon that this is the father. He has been imprisoned. It doesn't fully work. Of course. Um, But he basically is like, I'm going to rot out my days in jail. And then the next song, Seven Curses, Judge Riley says, oh no, you're not rotting in jail. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to hang you. And then he's like, oh my God, I have to get my, I have to get her involved, right? And then she comes. So to me, the two are combined because you have a man sitting in jail and then seven curses is he is about to be hung. They do lyrically work. Euphonically, they do not work at all, which is another reason why I wish this song was more of an acoustic, like Western-y ballad than it was this like not great kind of blues rock mix up. I don't think it's blues rock at all. I mean, it's definitely no. I know. I don't either. That's what I'm saying. This song has an identity crisis Mm. because it's not a straight up pop song. It's not a straight up blues rock song, and it's not like an acoustic Spanish romance song. It's like it's none of those things. And I feel like where that can work sometimes, this does not work. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have the uh, euphonic or whatever, right? Euphonic. It doesn't have that vibe. It doesn't have that very traditional vibe of what a Western song. Seven Curses Expanded Universe song is. But I think your definition's too narrow, Kelly. I think you've got to open I mean, your heart. I I will lyrically, but I just can't take it musically. It's just not only because it does not fit. I wouldn't want to listen to it again is what I'm saying. So I wouldn't want to put it on that playlist even right. if it – but if it were musically different, I would – I don't know. And we're talking about your Once in, once Upon a Time in the West playlist. Oh, yeah. This, this cannot go. No, no. I know. I know. No. The aesthetic of that playlist <laughs> would be ruined by having this. But you're, but I think it's undeniable that this lyrically is a Western song. 
Not that yeah, every, oh, totally. but then again, the Seven Curses expanded universe is not necessarily Western. Uh, for you, it's very in the West, but for me, it's it, it's like out of time. It, it's just got like some of the hallmarks of the West, but it doesn't have to be the West. Because I've put in some that you have been very against. And I'm gonna keep yeah, doing that, true. Kelly. So, you know, <laughs> fucking deal with it. Um, also, I just I want to note too the reason why I also think it's a fucking Seven Curses song, because just like any bad movie that starts with fucking narration. This is the most unforgivable part to me about the song, which is oh basically telling you what the song is before the song even happens. Which the, the, these are the words of a frontier lad who's lost his love when he turned bad. It right there just tells you it's a Star Wars creep on like um you know Monument yeah. Valley. It's bad. What is this? You know, it's bad. That's a, that it, is the worst part of the song, hands down. It is. That's why I, I almost if if the sound balances were better on that 50th anniversary bootleg. Um, or the 50th anniversary collection edition, I would like it better because it doesn't have that intro. So that's the only thing missing is that intro. I, I like it way better because it is EQ'd poorly. I agree that I think it's the same exact take. They just polished up the they balanced the levels better. But because I don't like the piano, it was great because I couldn't hear the piano. <laughs> so I was like, fantastic. We don't have the dorky ass intro and I can't hear the stupid piano that ruins everything. So wonderful. So it is a much better version for me. Sure. And I'm and I'm not with you with the, I think the singers sound fine. I, I think that they're used sparingly. We've heard them way worse. So I'm like, if you're going to use them, that's fine. But like, you did you did good not going overboard. Um, it was nice to hear their voices. They sound good. Well, they're they're in the they're in the other the bootleg version where they're there. Yeah, but just do not that like, intro did part. Did you like hearing? Yeah, they're fine. Bob Dylan come in crisper. Do do does it make you like his voice any more or less? No, like getting a full because it's kind of a cool version. Like you really get just his vocals. Yeah, their only real effect I could tell there was a little bit of reverb, but I think that's just like standard. Apparently, when anybody records in a studio, it's like and put on the reverb. Um, but I, I thought his vocals in both versions were actually fine. Like I said, it, it definitely sounded less Muppety than I remember, but still Muppety. And it, it sounds really clear. I think I understand the more we listen to these songs, uh, why he started singing like this. I think that he was really trying to sing. And it's just like, as someone who struggles to find their own voice musically, I can mimic people pretty well, but it's trying to like make my own unique sound. I get it, man. It, it's hard. And you sound fucking weird if you're trying to sing as yourself <laughs> and not mimic someone else. Yeah. And so he's like, how do I sing? Well, I have to do this dumb Muppet voice to sing. Well, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so, I don't know. I totally get it. Then you just stops. Yeah. So I don't know about that because he sings great after that. He's like peak Bob Dylan voice right after that. So he, but I think he had to go through Muppet land to get there. I think he really did to understand his range and to understand like how I hit an A note with my voice. Like he might've known that before because you can yeah. match pitch. Sure. But I feel like there's a technical understanding that I don't have when you're actually trying to treat your voice more as an instrument as an instrument it's really tough man it's hard singing is fucking hard like and people that understand music and play it beautifully can't sing that same way because it is a skill i think part of it's biology too i was going to save this for my recommendations but like yeah it's sometimes maybe she's born with it and maybe it's maybelline but i'm telling you yeah it's hard singing's hard yo yeah (laughs) it is well i I, if i was going to psychoanalyze what sort of happened um, I would say that like once you once the 60s ended for Bob Dylan in 1966 and he was like, I can't go on like this anymore. I think that was it. He was like, I, I everything I was doing before, if I'm going to move beyond it, which meant the basement tapes into John Wesley into Nashville into here, I've got to break down what I was doing before. Like every, all the cadences I did when I was singing as a folk singer, folk singer, 
I've got to let that go. So I think on some level it was like, I'm going to dive into this sort of country Western influence and I'm going to suit my voice accordingly. And we've talked about Bonnie Beecher saying that's Bob's voice that I know. And I'm, and for, for all any Bob Dylan fan, they're like, that's the outlier, right? You know, like this is the, this is the outlier voice, but it's, so it's funny to think that this might be his most like really like I'm trying to sing as myself. That's what I'm saying. And then I realize I can't do it if I want to keep making music that pushes the boundaries because I just can't imagine having songs from Desire, Blood on the Tracks, Planet Waves even like just dirge in this type of like with this cadence like would not be good. It just couldn't be good because Bob doing what Bob does where he talk talk sings in maybe what's not his voice is excellent. Well, and that and so that vinyl. very early stuff is 100% him mimicking Woody Guthrie and all those guys. Like yeah, that is not totally. him organically singing. So it makes total sense that Bonnie Beecher would say that. Like, no, no, no. I've heard yeah. him just sing a song, not trying to be anyone, not trying to be cool, not trying to imitate anyone. And he does not sound like that. He sounds like Muppet Guy. <laughs> or he heard heard him singing these songs because he's he's covered many of these pop songs back oh, in sure, yeah, yeah. 59, 60, you know. So he's singing these contemporaneously. And then it was only a decade later that he was like, well, I'm going to revisit that voice, you know. Yeah, yeah that's, that all sounds pretty good to me. If it wasn't so disparate, I would like the song a lot more. I love the individual elements. So the guitars do sound excellent. And I get why they're there because it feels really naked. I was trying to, like, mentally separate out the instruments I mean, like, I wish I had all the individual tracks before me so I could really just mute each one to see, to find my perfect mix of stuff. Because I like the slide guitar by itself. And I like the jang- like the, the rock kind of electric guitar coming in. That all sounds good. Yeah. I don't like the piano, but I feel like if I put maybe just the piano and just the singers and Bob and maybe the drum track or a different drum track, that could be a different song. I feel like I could definitely make three versions of this song <laughs> that would sound better than the one that we have. Well, that's what I was kind of hoping for, you know, because I forgot what was on the 50th anniversary. So I was hoping for a slower version, a different one. Yeah. Like, I mean, as I went out one morning, we got, you know, a doubling of the song length, the same song, just longer. I would have appreciated that too. Just like a different take, but you know, this was what Bob was going to do. We don't have any other evidence that he did any other take. So, so that's basically it. Um, It wasn't, it was almost basically a two for the Everly brothers to close on them. Um, They ended up breaking up in 1973. So they announced that their last show would be July 14th, 1973 at Knott's Berry Farm in California. Don said before the show that he was tired of being an Everly brother, which I don't think you can get out by just closing down the band. Unfortunately, you are That's your name, brothers. buddy. It's yeah. tough. So, yeah. And then Phil, um, during the set, he actually smashed his guitar and left. And Don wow. finished the set by himself. So that's... Yeah, and imagine just these guys. These guys. Bye bye love. Smashing. <laughs> this guy in this cardigan smashing his fucking right. guitar. And in between, and Although no shade. I love a cardigan. Bit Buddy Holly rocked a cardigan. Oh, he was very And there's an apocrypha that the cardigan was only because of the Everly brothers. They actually met him and he was wearing different style of clothes and I'm like, bro, you gotta dress up. And he was like, Okay, cool. So there's <laughs> again the Everly brothers got their fingertips on all this stuff. They would end up reforming in nineteen eighty three. Um, until Phil's death in 2014. And they did a lot of stuff. They uh, Last time they charted was, I think, 1986. They did songs with Paul McCartney. And, you know, because they were all huge fans. So, of course, they wanted to do this. Um, and for their accolades, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of the inaugural class in 1986. Um, oh, they're wow. in the Country Music Hall of Fame in 2001. They have a Hollywood star, a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Insanely, and this this was from 2005, but Rolling Stone put them number 33 at the 100 greatest artists of all time. That's very, that's too high. 
let's all just like calm down. Most importantly, though, the Everly Brothers are a part of the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So forget about all the rest. Nice. That Iowa nice. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Can you name anybody else from the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Slipknot. Me neither. <laughs> Does this song work in 2021, Kelly? I mean, you've made a very persuasive case as to why it could. But it, overall, yes, no. Does this work today? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what you said about taking out the parts and like seeing what you could do with it, you could make multiple versions to suit your own needs. Yeah. And that would be so nice. But no, we just have this one version where everyone's on everyone's uh, toes and everyone's mics. There's no way to extract. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. My controversial opinion is that I do like the song. And I don't know if it like works. I mean, it works just as a historical document. But I think we also have the hindsight of like World Gone Wrong and Good As I've Been to You in the 90s. We also have Triplicate and all of that. So like Bob Dylan, he like made the template as we talked about in self-portrait he made the template for like anytime an artist goes back to say i'm gonna play some songs from my youth everyone can see it in the lens of self-portrait and if it fails or it sucks people can ignore it and say i don't want it and the artist can say well you don't understand it but you know what you wouldn't have me if it wasn't for this stuff so only real fans can enjoy this it, it like sets the parameters of how to discuss doing a whole album about it nobody had done that before so it's that alone is interesting. And just like, again, the influences, like knowing about the Everly Brothers is the same as knowing about Sinatra is the same as knowing about Woody Guthrie and Robert Johnson. They're all intertwined. We don't have to pretend that it's one or just one and not the other. It's all of it. Um, and I like the, the Everly Brothers. I really do. And I enjoyed listening to them this week, just revisiting some of the, the hits. And I listened to Roots, which I, I highly recommend. Everly Brothers recommend. You know, I was so 60 years too late, but um, uh, they're going to be big someday. You can say she'd better find someone new to cherish and to hold. Oh, Lord, this cell is cold. Mary, Mary, oh, Lord, this cell. Kelly, <laughs> we were also people in the world. Oh, no, no, we weren't. Did you know that we're a real podcast? Yes, I did. So did I. You can find us at Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, SOTW pod, at SOTW pod, you know, that kind of stuff. Same with Patreon, Kelly. If you want to give us a dollar, you could do that. Are you asking you me specifically? $3? You did say $10, me, $100. Yeah. I mean, you could. Man. Yeah. I could. If you're listening to this, you could. <laughs> that would be ideal. You can search for that in real time. Or you can go to sotwpod.com. That's our website. And you can find all the show notes, all of our recommendations, all of our, all the fun stuff that you could possibly want at our website. Kelly. We made a playlist this week. It's pretty good. A lot of old favorites from us. Not a lot of newbies. We're creating a, an alternate universe where the only artists that exist are artists from our playlist. And welcome to this world, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. The message. Hell yeah. Um, still a classic. This song is instantly recognizable to anyone that's a student of hip hop. You've heard the song sampled. Yes. 
in a million songs. In fact, who sampled has it as at least 209 artists have sampled this song. Uh, the first one that came to my mind, unfortunately, was Puff Daddy and Mace. Um, uh-huh. The name of the song is, what is it called? Yeah, Can't Nobody Hold Me Down, which also samples Matthew Wilder's song, My Stride, right? What is it? Like, Take My Stride? Can't Nobody Break My Stride. That's what it's called. Can't Nobody Hold Me wow. Down. Oh, no. Yeah. That's Mason Puff Daddy, hard, the hardest motherfuckers that ever lived. That's right. (laughs) Sample of Matthew Wilder. Uh, And then the other big one is Ice Cube, Check Yourself. They did a a mix that included this whole song basically underneath it, Um, minus the the vocals, obviously. And Tupac did one, America's Most Wanted with Snoop Dogg. Samples this as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are 209. I'm not going to go through the list, but those are the big ones. And also, those are just physical samples of like the song, right? But like how many lyrical nods to all these lines that are in here that are buried in hip hop. Oh, right. Yeah. That's just the music, but yeah. Yeah. But then if you go down the rabbit hole, so this song is by grandmaster flash and the furious five with, it's also credited with, uh, I think it's Melly Mel and, um, dookie, dookie boot. What's his name? Booty Duke, Duke Booty. That's his name. (laughs) Duke Booty, which I don't think he was in the furious five, but I think Melly Mel was, um, but they made a song, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, called Super Rappin', which was kind of the inspiration for this song. And the entire last verse is in the message. That song, Super Rappin', the entire beat, the whole song, is actually a funk song by uh, the whole darn family. It's called Seven Minutes of Funk. So I, like, I love going down these sample rabbit holes because it's like yeah, sure, hip hop sure. has like nothing but that. That's where it all came from. So it's just like it's really cool to get to the core. The very first one, it's always some like obscure jazz record or some like crazy function. And of course, this one was, yeah. you know, uh, a funk record. Music history through sampling is so fun. I, I can't wait for uh, hip hop to sample. Take a message to Mary. <laughs> I mean, it might happen. Shit. Who knows? I mean, that like that. Like that guitar, that plinky guitar. It's from, cool. It's pretty good. It's cool. I mean, not a lot you could do to it, but you know, well, you can do something. Kelly, this is your job. You need to be the one that samples all this stuff. Come on. To make a hip hop track out of taking message. Yes. <laughs> well, right. you've talked about taking out the elements like the Bob Dylan. As I went out one morning, it's got that cool drum beat. And you're like, yeah, I, someone needs to do that. And you yeah. would if you weren't so lazy. Well, it's this, true, but I am very yes. lazy. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so also, it's unlikely. Welcome to the playlist, the specials, a message to Rudy, which I immediately followed up with Propagandi Scott sucks. That was that hurt my feelings. That hurt my feelings. It has to be that. It has to be that. <laughs> well, because <laughs> he says message to you. I'm like, oh, God damn it. Yeah. But, no, I, I I'm sure again, anecdote time. Let's go down the path of my memories. Um yeah, I had a, a friend who lived with me for a while who was very into ska, and he like it was cool. I was I'm, I'm glad in the end because he gave me like a little ska education, and it's nice to have that. Just kind of because it like it goes all the way back to the fucking fifties and sixties, man. It's like sure. the first wave of ska was all like reggae, old old dub reggae stuff out of Jamaica, sure. and it's just like yeah, I don't know, it's very interesting. But yeah, I'm surprised we haven't had the specials on here because oh, I'm thinking of um, English beat. Never mind. Yeah, the specials. <laughs> Specials. They're a huge, huge ska, yeah, they ska are, uh, mainstay. And they, the first time, and Propagandi has been on here five times, so those two were linked only because of the message to you, Rudy. Fuck you, Rudy. Etta James, Tough Mary for the first time. Etta James, Excellent. great Etta James. Yes. Uh, Kate Nash, love this. I love your, it's, the song is called Mary Happy, really pushing the bounds of Mary here. 
Um, but I'm glad you did because that song was great. I really enjoyed that song a lot. And then Nas, our first time for, from Nas, uh, oh, wow. from It Was Written, 1996, The Message, uh, which is, I think, the first song that opens that record, the one after Illmatic. So Welcome To is gone. Welcome back a ton of people, including the Everly Brothers. Have you heard of them? Do you want me to tell you a long story about the Everly Brothers? <laughs> this is the second Everly Brothers song we have had. Willie Nelson, five times for Bloody Mary Morning. Great, great song. He just dropped a new record. That's all Sinatra covers because he's not copying someone. What is this? I don't know. <laughs> and apparently it's pretty good. It's on, I'm going to listen to it. I'll probably talk about it next week, but uh, or next episode. Uh, Pete Seeger, Oh Mary, Don't You Weep. I mean, come on. Classic, classic, classic song. See, I thought you were going to tell me during this episode that somehow this song was related to that. I had no idea that it was an Everly Brothers cover. I figured... Okay, for one, I was wasn't looking at my phone when this I put the playlist on, and I thought the Everly Brothers was the Birds or the other ones that cover Bob Dylan all the time. So I thought for sure this was a cover of Bob Dylan's song, not the other way around. And two, I, when I heard the Pete Seeger song, I was like, oh, clearly this is like some Bob stole the idea or whatever from Pete Seeger, and I, I, was, I was like very on the wrong train. <laughs> well, I guess every time I put songs in a playlist, you're like, okay, what's the connection? How is Propaganda connected to this Bob? No, no, no. I don't think that usually, but if it's like an oldie timey one, I'm like, okay. <laughs> There's a fucking banjo and it's, you've heard that song though. You've heard, oh, Mary, don't you weep, right? I don't know. You've never heard that song before? Yeah, oh, I don't man. think so. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Did you like it? I mean, that's, yeah. oh God, it's such a beautiful song. Um, That's great. I don't know if it's Pete Seeger's. I, it might just be a traditional song, but that him covering it with the banjo, just Pete Seeger. Amazing. So seven times for Pete Seeger. Kelly, who has been on top of stuff and she has lambasted me about not using the fucking tools. Put the fucking police on here. Message in a bottle. No! Episode 39. Ye heavy in a bottle of bread. Damn it. You love rock band and um, guitar yeah. hero. That's Whichever it. That's one it. Those yeah, guitar here. Who knows? And I'm still trying to play that fucking song. That stupid chord is so because you have to do. It's basically like a, a major chord where you do. They're all separated by one fret, so it's like you have to stretch your hand so big to do it. And like that riff sounds so easy because yeah. it's just a bunch of triplets. But you have to really like stretch your hand out to get those notes, man. I and I still can't do it's it like well. Blue, blue, yellow, red, white. You know. Whatever yes. The colors. Yeah, that. Tough. Now so. I wish I would I, like we I can't go down the hole where you'd have to spend fifty dollars on a stupid Guitar Hero controller. But I'm very you close still to don't doing need it. to do that. One year I later know. from this discussion, still doesn't need to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, I think it's exactly a year. This is so pre-COVID shit where you're like, I I just need this thing, and then COVID hit, and it was like never heard about it again until now, until now. I need stupid it. Message in a bottle, stupid police. Uh, big thief for the third time, Mary. Beautiful song. Uh, broadcast for the third time message from home love broadcast every time they've been on fucking spot on love so that good. shit obviously propaganda five times st vincent for the second time only the second time i love st vincent marry me again being loose with the the word mary but again mm-hmm. i call it marie so i almost <laughs> wanted to put a bunch of songs with marie in it uh the Got white it. stripes for the fifth time now mary Jimi hendrix for the fourth time only the classic the wind cries mary great song so good. uh great guitar i mean ridiculous Stevie Wonder for the third time, Superwoman, where where were you when I needed you? Obviously singing about Mary, Mary, Mary. And finally, Alanis Morissette for the second time, Mary Jane. Not into it. I really, I like. I feel weird because I, I feel like I should listen to Jagged Little Pill because every time, every year, there's a new release because we have to like, it's another year in Jagged Little Pill and, 
you know, it's the 26th anniversary and then it's the 27th anniversary. Well, I'm going to, it's the same record every single time. And I'm like, I should listen to this. And I never do. I agree. <laughs> Kelly recommendations. We were people in the world. Tell me about Alanis. Well, and what else did you I'm going to leave week? Alanis for the last, but, uh, just, a, just an update on my, my TV okay. watching. Um, so, Yes, good. We're still watching The Crown, but we finally got to the third season, which means the um, the cast has been replaced. And I guess they're going to do that for the upcoming season as well. So, oh, yeah. Um, I didn't write down her name, but there was a different actress playing the queen for the first two seasons. And now it's finally what we've been waiting for. I wrote down her name this time, so I wouldn't forget. And her name is Olivia Coleman. She was in the IT crowd. She was in Broadchurch. She's in everything. She's fucking awesome. And uh, so now she's playing the queen. So we've been waiting to get to that. And the guy who played uh, Edmure Tully in the show that shall not be named is now uh, Philip. So, um, which is much better because, God, I couldn't stand that other guy, Matt, whatever, who played, uh, who's one of the Doctor Who's. I just like, he really creeps me the fuck out. So glad he's gone. Mm. Um, And yeah, so far, so same boring show. But it is nice to have. Uh, Olivia Coleman because she just makes everything better. She's fucking amazing. So that I, I watched a movie called Freaky, which has um, Vince Vaughn and a woman I can't remember the name of. She's a young actress. She write this stuff down anyway. But it's a body swap movie, a la Freaky Friday. But the twist is, uh, it's this young teenage girl who switches body with a forty-year-old serial killer. Um, so oh, it cool. It, it it was like I was like this is a great premise, and I had seen a preview for it before, and I was like this is kind of interesting. It's, so it's like straddles like um, horror comedy line. I'm a huge fan of the movie's series Scream. If anyone doesn't know, that's like that is my perfect idea of a horror movie because it's like self-aware enough, meta enough with a little bit of comedy and the gore's not too gory. Like it's very like soft and gentle as far as horror movies go. It's not funny enough or scary enough uh, to really hit either of those marks, but it was okay. I'll see, I'll give Freaky an okay. The premise is fun alone. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, okay, I'm. Okay, yeah, cool, cool. and then I watched Big Lebowski because that was for free on oh, Peacock wow. recently. So I was like, you know, I've only seen this movie one time, mm-hmm. and I was either on a lot of drugs or I fell asleep during it, or possibly both. Um, yeah. And so I always thought, and because the way people talk about it, they talk about it the way that people talk about Donnie Darko, which is exhausting because it's like, it's a fine movie, but it's not that people don't get it. It's just not as cool as you think it is. It's like not that mind boggling that you think it is. It's like, it's interesting. And it's artistic, but it's not that cool. So I'd always put Big Lebowski in that category where it's like super cerebral or like really. And it's not. Yeah. It's just like a stoner guy who happens along this ridiculous amount of circumstances and then it ends. I think because I was, again, either not sober or falling asleep, that I thought all the dream sequences were like reality inside the movie. So I didn't realize what okay. was going on. So I thought it was more like Blue Velvet, like a David Lynch movie, than a weird oh, Coen Brothers no. comedy. <laughs> it is so like watching it was like, oh. I'm like half paying attention because I was playing guitar and doing something else. And I was like, oh, this is okay. It's fine. But okay. I think that, I think that movie is a classic case of people liked it when it came out and they just like really liked it. And that's great. You really like the movie, but then they're going to fucking be there for it for the life of it. Cause me too. I, I I went, I think I watched it like 2013, 14 just cause I was like, I don't think I ever really watched the movie and it was fine. Yeah. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. And it's funny. I, 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 yeah, you really just get, the hype really makes you think that it's going to be something that it isn't. Um, I will say that I almost texted you because I got spoiled. You've mentioned before that there's a Bob Dylan song in that movie. And yeah, they played the man in me uh, twice in the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. I was like, shit. Yeah. I fi- I figured, I think I put down that we would do like a supplemental or something when that came up because yeah, that's like the only thing with the man in me is and, the big Lebowski. Yeah. I mean, it, 
one to one for me because that was that was because it's a minor song, but yeah, that was like for whatever reason was on that soundtrack and the movie, which is awesome. So. Yeah. So spoiler alert. I know. I, I immediately recognized it because, like I said, I was kind of only I wasn't paying a hundred percent attention to the movie. I was playing my guitar, but then I so I was like, oh shit, that's Bob Dylan. <laughs> oh no. Oh, yep. no. And it's this period. It's nineteen seventy, so it's new. Oh morning, wow. So. Okay. Yep. Uh, And then music. I didn't do a lot of music listening outside of our playlist this week, but uh, the Alanis Morissette song did set me on a little nostalgia journey. So I clearly remember six. I'm fudging it to seven because I think seven's a cooler number. Six albums that I had when I was a kid. You know when you're a kid, you just acquire music because either your your parents gave you CDs that they don't listen to anymore or like your older siblings or something. You just end up with these CDs. Well, if you're in your 30s, right. you ended up with these CDs, tapes even, that you just have and they become yours. They're your little collection that you keep in your room so you can listen to on your CD player or your Walkman or whatever. And I distinctly remember these six, again, I'm adding a seventh, uh, albums that just existed in my life. And the list is thus. The six real ones are Jagged Little Pill, four by, uh, oh my God, I forgot the fucking name of the band, Blues Traveler, Falling Into You by Celine Dion, In Sync, In Sync, Aqua Aquarium, sure. Spice Girls, Spice, oh. and the one that's cheating is uh, Coolie High Harmony by Boys to Men because that was an album my brother played all the time. That one it wasn't in my room, but it was one, every time we played uh, Super Mario Brothers, he was playing that album. So I'm like, I, I got to count that. As part of my whole thing. And again, because I needed to get to seven. This is so yes, I only okay. made it through the first two and a half because I, I got to, uh, I didn't get through the list. It's six hours long and I just like didn't make it all the way through yet. I'm going to finish next week. But um, so I got midway to, I put them in that order too. So I got midway through Celine Dion's album. I have got to say, Jaggy Little Pill is excellent. Mary Jane is the low point, but even that song, because again, it's all nostalgia for me, okay. is really good. But Jaggy Little Pill is is excellent. Like I, I understand why it keep gets re released. It's not that I don't know that. It's like I, I do know that, and I know all these songs. Yeah, I know. I, the, every my mom played this all the time. I just, maybe I don't want to know. Maybe I don't want to love it. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just like I, yeah, I'm scared. It, I'm scared. I'm glad to know it it's is. good though. That makes me happy because when I get to the '90s. This is obviously a touchstone, and it's like I will have to reckon with it. It's well, that's part of why I wanted to do this. I was like, I, you know, yeah. I'm 32 now, and this I was like a little kid when I was listening to these albums. I was like, I'm really yeah. curious if any of this is worth listening to again. Blues Traveler, I was expecting a lot more. It is really like blues rock and like not super yeah, for me. I know, I know, name. I know. But I mean, you know, Run Around was the big single, and I do still like that song. And and Hook was the other big single, and that song is still excellent but there was one other track that i was surprised that i liked the rest of the album i could totally leave but it's called uh price to pay i really enjoyed it, it like if you liked any of that early 90s garbage like Candlebox, any of those terrible bands that song like hits it perfectly so if you liked any of that stuff it's really okay. like black crows it really really it's it's good so there's three songs worth listening the rest of the album is okay. a hard pass for me and celine dion uh i mean you know the hits you know uh but it yeah. Sure. It's hard. It, that one was a challenge. And I, that's I think that's why I stopped because it's like, yeah. but that's why I was talking about people singing. She, you cannot deny that woman's voice. It, no. It's just incredible. Like, I'm just thinking about physically what the human body is capable of producing. It's just like, oh, my God, the range. Like, I can't sing to her songs because the range this it's just yeah. how do you even you can't. What is she doing? I don't understand what she's doing or how she's doing it. Just like. So amazing her voice, but yeah, it's all like 
all I can think about is romance book, like novel covers. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like it though. I wouldn't like it because I don't care about singing at all. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I would, I get, I get that she has a good voice, and I get that it's probably mesmerizingly good. Like that's why she's well known. I don't care if the songs aren't good. <laughs> I I would much rather again marvel at someone's instrumentation or their fucking lyrics. I don't. I just don't care. And I, like constantly, my mind is like, she didn't write these songs, and like I know yeah. that doesn't super matter it all the time. But like matter. that's why I really have to put it in my head in this place where it's like they gave it to her because she can do something no one else can do, and it's sing that way. You know what I mean? Like I I appreciate what she's doing. Definitely not going to listen to this album ever again after uh, after revisiting. Anyway, stay tuned for part two of my, my seven albums because I will. <laughs> well, this is good. I'm glad we keep leaving cliffhangers. I did the same with the Cake and White Stripes, so I guess I'll finish that update right now. I nice. got all the way through Cake and White Stripes. All I have left is the B-sides from Cake and uh, what is it, Under the, the Great White North or whatever, the live album from the White Stripes. So I'm, I've listened to all of it before, so none of it was brand new to me, but Elephant is still excellent. Icky Thump, their last album, awesome. I didn't really realize like there are some like really big like get behind me Satan the the middle one between Elephant and Icky Thump in 2005 Seven Nation Army still good like all of these songs yeah. that I just like have written off in my head still fucking great and Jack White actually plays with Bob Dylan at like shows in the early 2000s so they actually cover um songs together like Bob does huh. a white stripe song so we'll we'll talk about what? that in some other world where we have some fun Bob Dylan live, never-ending tour bullshit. Um, but Cake, so you love Cake. So I'm just going to throw out the Cake albums and the songs that I saved onto my playlist because I like them. If I didn't save them on, it's not that they're bad. It's more that they're a little forgettable. They just, like, they all blend in. That's probably my, my big critique on Cake is that they all kind of sound the same. Oh, yeah, totally. That's kind of my problem. Oh. But But again, if you're, like, super into it, then I get it. Motorcade of Generosity, 1994. I saved uh, Ruby Sees All and You Part the Waters. Oh, yeah. You Part the Waters. Good. I don't, what was the first one you said? Ruby Saves All. Ruby Sees All. Prolonging the Magic, I put in uh, Satan is My Motor, yes. Sheep Go to Heaven, and Hem of Your Garment. Yeah, great, great. Hem of Your Garment got a star. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, Fashion Nugget, I saved, obviously, The Distance, because that's great. Nugget, Frank Sinatra, and Perhaps, Perhaps, Perhaps. Yes, all great. So th those are the ones that I, I grabbed. Comfort Eagle 2001, obviously short skirt, long jacket. Shadow Stabbing and Comfort Eagle Yes, were my tops. Yes. Pressure Chief, Wheels, uh, Dime. Yep. And Palm of Your Hand. It's really good. And then Showroom of Compassion, I would say that, that that's probably not my favorite. Um, Sick of You and Mustache Man are the two that I saved on that. But it was hard. I had to, like, I, I actually was, like, all almost through it and I was like, I haven't added a single one. I'm not representing Cake in any way. Definitely have never really listened to them before outside of the playlist and the big hits. Um, obviously, Distance and, and Short Skirt, Long Jacket are, are great. And those are very great and representative in a way of like the sound, even if they're like there are moments where they get really, really good and introspective. And I don't know. I, I love their aesthetic and I love what they sing about. But it kind of just sounds the same, but it's really good. They're good musicians. As I like every time I dip back in, I, I love it. I love every single one of their songs. Honestly, like they're fantastic. And they for me, they do they have a little bit of variance enough that like yeah. I don't get bored. But I am now realizing that this is the close to a jam band that I enjoy. But, 
because they totally that have it. that vibe. That, and, and I assume going to see them live too, there's probably moments where they probably riff off on a couple of these because you could just you could rock. Oh out. yeah, there's like 80 people totally. on stage. And it's that's fantastic. That's great. All that sounds <laughs> yeah. really fun. And there was never a moment that I was bored. There was just moments where I just realized what I was doing while doing this. I had like just zoned out. New albums I listened to though. New No Effects came out. It's called Single Album. Oh shit. Uh, Cloud Nothing's released a new album called The Shadow I Remember, which is great. And Julian Baker, who I fucking adore, she released a new album called Little Oblivions. Highly recommend it. I mean, obviously, if you love anybody in Boy Genius, you love Phoebe Bridgers, you'll love her because she's in it. And this one's great because it's not just the album from 2017 that was that I recommended as well. There's bands, there's there's movement happening. So I think I like it a lot more than that just because I like more upbeat stuff instead of sad piano music because I don't want to feel sad. But there are songs on here like um, that that do tackle that kind of stuff and in terms of uh tv and stuff i watched two documentaries one is i'll be gone in the dark about michelle mcnamara and the golden state killer that's right kelly i'm still on the true crime nice and the other one was the vow which is about the sex cult nexium oh i don't know oh. have you ever heard of this uh well, there was a yeah, celebrity they... that got involved with that that's the only reason why i know that oh the, all the celebrities right so yeah uh, allison mack yeah all the people for well not only that but horror for you and i two people from fucking battlestar galactica uh were involved including um i see i, I don't say katie sackoff don't say katie sackoff knock no 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 grace grace park that sounds something like that right? yeah anyways nikki klein is in this sex cult and she got married to allison mack who is the main one the main person who got just got charged for sex trafficking um, they got married in what is now a sham marriage so that she could get immigration, like wow. green card marriage. And then they've just divorced. So that's just happened. Like, in the oh, so you can weeks. you can marry someone of the same sex for a green card. Apparently in America. Interesting. I didn't know if that was a thing. So, or not. so that happened anyway. So, yeah, Nikki Klein and then Grace Park again, both of them. Well, Nikki Klein's come out. She's like defending him today so she is like she used to have plausible deniability grace park does i think grace park was a part of this cult before it became the sex cult and i think for a lot of them it's not a sex cult that's the whole point it's really a ton of grooming and the show really does an amazing job of like showing how they break down barriers and like how they represent this as like women empowerment and they become basically what they call slaves masters and slaves and they're all slaves to him and he's disgusting and it's so terrible and it's so gripping it's really good and it's both of those are hbo documentaries so i if you have hbo fucking i i recommend both of them the bow and i'll be gone in the dark as well because i was on the edge of my seat man so then i split the difference between medicine and poison take what i can This is the end of the episode. Take a message to Marie. Nope. Take a message to Mick. See, it's over. It's over. <laughs> we're never going to talk about it again oh, until the next time we talk about the Everly Brothers. R.I.P. Murray. Kelly, soon we're going to be doing a fun get together hmm. for St. Patrick's Day. That's right. I'm leaving the confines, the cold and snow of South Dakota. Oh, it just snowed again last night. Damn. For 
never stops. For the beautiful, sunny Portland, <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> That's right. It's definitely not been cold or rainy here. Before we get there and we bring out our regular special guest roster, we're going to do one more episode, Kelly. So we have been picking this season's episodes based on words. Which has been really fun. I know. I've loved it so much. It's been great. Yeah. Especially after we've worked out all the kinks and we can just make up rules as we go along. Yeah. Although we haven't really had to do that, which is great. So, Kelly, you're going to pick five words at random. I'm going to see what we've got to work with. And if there are options, I'm going to give them to you. If there's nothing, we're going to go into sudden death and find the first word. The first thing that I see is the one we're going to do. So, Kelly, go to randomwordgenerator.com and give me five words, starting with the first word. Patient. So we do have four options here Great. for patient. Okay, what's next? One I don't think is going to be in, but if it is, I kind of want to pick it already. Flex. Oh, got a flex on them. Too bad people couldn't see you do that. On, because this is an audio <sighs> medium. Uh, flex, no, there's no flex. Which? Which? Oh, sorry, like uh, that flies oh. on a broomstick, not like which one? Yeah. No, no, that's what I put, which. Like okay. Season of the Witch. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's three, three witches. Okay. Nice. What's nice. next? This is going to be a million of songs. Afford. Afford. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two. Affords. Oh, okay. really? I'm surprised. And then last? Glow. Gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Surely there's glow, too. Oh, yeah. There's lots. Oh, seven glows. Damn. Okay. All right. So we have options for every single one of them. We go from seven to two to three to four. Um, What do you want to do in this case? Do you want to pick your favorite word? Do you want to give me one? Do you want me to give you one of each? What's the, what's the most equitable way that you want to do it this week? Well, one of each would be four songs. So let's do one of each if you want to. But see, that puts a lot on you because now oh, you right, have to pick. Oh, right, because we didn't have flex. Well, that's fine. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm just going to pick randomly. All right, so we're going to start. <laughs> for everyone's benefit, glow. Daniel just closed his eyes, which I can't imagine is good for well, doing anything on the computer. <laughs> sure. It didn't, it didn't work at all. But I am going to – I don't know what they are. I'm covering it up. You can see my hand, Kelly. I'm covering it up. So I'm just going to pick this one right here. Um, and what was the word? What was the last word you said? Glow. Glow? Right. The trailing moss and the mystic glow. Ooh, do we count patiently? Yeah, sure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go to the next one just because I don't think that's good enough. Okay. Okay. She's waiting at home like a patient saint. Mm. Little spoiler alert for the saint could come in here <laughs> next week. Stay tuned. But anyways, there you go. Patient saint. Uh, what's the other words? Uh, witch. Treacherous young witches. Oh, nice. And then what's the next one? What's the next one? Afford. How many more can they afford? I mean, I immediately have to go with treacherous young witches because, like, I'm going to have some feelings, <laughs> I imagine. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm 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 with you. Uh, yeah. So the options I were was a song called Moonlight. This one was Two by Two. Anyways, the correct answer, Kelly, is a song that you've heard before that we've all heard before. You just mentioned an actor earlier from the show that will not be named. It was our theme song to. Sign on the Window presents, Mixed Up Confusion presents, the show that must not be named, season seven, Changing of the Guards. Oh, shit. 1978's Changing of the Guards. So we'll go from a a lightweight, take a, whatever the song is, take a message to Murray. That's right. Yeah, Murray. Murray. I'm owning it now. Take a message to Murray. Take a message to Murray. And we're going to be going to Changing of the Guards, uh, an undeniably great song. And I'm... 
genuinely excited. And cool. then we'll be doing our um, St. Patrick's Day extravaganza. Everybody get your favorite saint lyrics in because we'll, 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 we'll pick one then. All right, Kelly, I'll see you next week for Changing of the Guards. Yeah, okay, bye. Or just guard? Is it one guard, two guards? I don't, I don't know. You would know better than me. See ya. Goes by so slowly and time.